thankful for what I feel here today, and I believe that the Lord wants to do a work in us, through us, amen. Something about God is he doesn't really like to share. <laughs> As a matter of fact, he doesn't like to at all, and he won't. <laughs> the Bible says in Exodus chapter 20, it says that I, the Lord, thy God, am a jealous God. In that same passage, he says, thou shalt have no other gods before me. <laughs> and I'm kind of reading this all backwards, but it's Exodus 20. And starting with verse 2, he, he first he says, I am the Lord thy God, which have brought thee out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. And so the Lord's reminding the children of Israel, this is what I did for you. This is where you used to be. You were in a place of bondage. And because I'm your God, and I'm all-powerful, I brought you out. But what I require now, <laughs> because of that deliverance, because I'm your God, because without me, you'd still be in bondage, you'd still be suffering, I require that you have no other gods before me. And thou shalt make unto thee, thou shalt not make unto thee, this is verse 4 of Exodus 20, any graven image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in earth beneath, that is in the water under the earth. Thou shalt not bow thyself to them nor serve them. And again, here's where I started. For I, the Lord, thy God, am a jealous God. Man, has he brought anyone here out of anything today? If we pre-baptism, pre-Holy Ghost, whether we realize it or not, we were in bondage to sin. We were dead in our trespasses and sin. And he expects us to keep that at the forefront of our minds, not the, not the past, not the condemnation, not who we were, but what he brought us from and what he brought us into. Amen. And if maybe if you don't relate with that yet today, um, I promise you God wants to do the same for you. He wants to bring you out of bondage that is this world, the, the sin, the darkness of this world that whether we choose to or not has us ensnared. He wants to bring us out. But beyond just bringing us out, he wants to bring us into something else. He doesn't just take us out and for a season he might take us out and leave us in a wilderness <laughs> for a purpose, for a reason. Because there's some more things that need to get taken out of us. But when he takes us out of a place, he wants to then take us into a new place. He wants to then take us somewhere else in him. Of course, it's the, the promised land. 
as the children of Israel, they were in the bondage, and then they spent 40 years in the wilderness on what should have been just a few-day journey into the land that the Lord promised them, but God realized, okay, there's, there's a lot of Egypt that got into their heart, got into their spirit, so even though I brought them out, now I got to take that out of them before I can bring them into what I want to. Uh, one other passage this morning in Deuteronomy chapter 6. And if you were, if you were a, a Jew today, even thousands of years later, you could likely quote this, probably this whole chapter, uh, this this passage, Deuteronomy 6, is probably the key verse of all of Judaism uh, in their, their belief that there is one God. Amen. It's Deuteronomy 6 and verse 4, the Lord speaking to Israel. And this is post, again, post-deliverance, post-bringing them out. And he says to them in Deuteronomy 6, verse 4, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. Now we, as, as oneness Pentecostals, we love this passage as well because, because we're oneness, right? There's, there's one God, and that's true. This, this is talking about his oneness in number. But I also believe that as we sang about today, that I will make room for you because I want you to be my king, however the song went. It's hard for me to remember it without the, <laughs> without the melody, right? You, you know what I'm talking about. Beyond him just being one in number, his expectation is to be one in priority. He expects to be number one, central, the main thing in our life, what our life is about, what we do, how we breathe, what we think, all of it centered on him. Because again, he's a jealous God. He didn't bring us out of bondage, bring us out of deliverance just so we could go do our own thing. <laughs> so we could go do whatever we want to do. But he requires to be one in priority. Verse, verse 5 says that thou shalt love the Lord thy God. And it's, it's kind of funny because the Lord's just been showing me this recently. And the rest of the passages that follow, it, it shows it so plainly that it's not just him saying, I'm one, but I'm number one. <laughs> and we see that here in verse 5. You shall love the Lord your God with all thine heart with all thy soul, and with all thy might. That pretty much covers everything. <laughs> Doesn't leave anything all. <laughs> when it says all, it means all. These words which I command thee this day shall be in thine heart. They shall be in thine heart. And thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children, and shalt talk of them when you sit in your house. I'm putting it into modern day English for you. 
when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise up. Man, if these things are in our heart, if he's truly number one, it shouldn't be a mystery to <laughs> our coworker, our brother, our sister. Because if it's stored, if it's kept in our heart, the Bible says, out of the abundance of our heart, the mouth speaketh. And I think that we are, I know it's been the case since then, but it's especially the case now. We're in a time where God's done sharing us. He's ready to, and this is, I, the Lord was dealing with me about this even since last Tuesday, and Elder made the statement Tuesday night about us. It's, it's such an important time for us to be sensitive and us to be aware of individuals, people around us that we can speak to. And there was a specific phrase he used, I can't remember now, but, but then Bishop, when he spoke about fishing, being fishers of men, Bishop used the same, same term about being sensitive and being aware. Well, what I've come to realize is we can't, we can't be aware of the lost world and those that need Jesus and that need Christ if, if we don't have him as our number one priority. If, if he's not our main priority, then how is his, his purpose going to be our main priority? It doesn't really line up, doesn't really add up. But if he's number one, it's, it's something that we're going to talk about, something that we're going to teach our families, our children. I, I made this note. It's a question, and it says, if you're not sure of what is central or the most important thing in your life, then just listen to yourself speak. Is, is all you talk about yourself? <laughs> is all you talk about the, the New York Mets? I don't know. <laughs> Doing it something distant. Not to pick on brother, <laughs> brother Kyle from, from New York. But what we talk about is what's in our heart. What we talk about is what we love. And if we say that we love the Lord our God with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our might, we're going to talk about it. Amen. It's going to come out of our mouth. Two other verses here in this, in this passage. It's, it's still speaking of the same thing that it started with that he said, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. Now verse number 8. He's just continuing to stress the importance of this knowledge and the way that it would affect and dictate our, our life and our actions. Because it doesn't stop with just being knowledge. It's not enough to just know that he's God or, or even just know that he's one, but it takes, it takes action. So he then says, And you shall bind them for a sign upon thine hand. These things that you're supposed to teach your, your kids, your family, that you're going to teach and talk about when you sit down in your house, when you stand up, when you lie down, when you rise up, that pretty much covers every part of your day as well. Those things you shall bind as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between thine eyes. 
and thou shalt write them upon the posts of thy house and on thy gates. I think it's pretty clear, and again, if you know anything about Judaism, every, it, it's almost safe to say that every single Jew knows this passage. Even today, they could quote it to you. Just in the same way that if you ask us to quote John 3.16 or Philippians 4.13, Jews, this is, this is like their verse, their passage. And they do it. They do it very literally. They, you see in, in Israel, sometimes uh, they'll have this, I don't, I'm guessing it says the passage on it in Hebrew, but it's like these little blocks that they have on their hand and then on their forehead. looks kind of goofy. But, and then there's this leather strap that goes around their head that holds that thing onto their forehead. And then it goes down and wraps all the way around their whole arm. And then it's on their hand. And as the Lord was dealing with me about this, I, I began to realize it's, it's deeper than just a physical thing that's there that's attached to us. Because I definitely don't think the Lord is saying, go put on a WWJD. <laughs> bracelet if you know if you want to but but I think what he's saying is that if he's truly central if he's truly number one in priority if we truly love him with all of our heart our soul our might then whatever our hand goes to do we'll go and we'll say okay I remember that he's one I remember that I love him so whatever my hand goes to do, I'm remembering, and I'm going to do it as unto the Lord. It's pretty hard to, I, I, I imagine I was thinking of this this morning, those, those Jews, I, I got to go to Israel last year, and there's this one room we went into specifically where it's kind of weird, but they were like reading and just real like ceremonial and religious and had their things tied around their arm and on their forehead and they kind of looked at us glaring like, oh, you, you dirty Gentiles. <laughs> but uh, we walked through, and it was almost as if they were on display in a, in a museum, the way that they were just there reading their books and doing their rocking and just very religious and routine and pretty empty, even though they follow the letter of the law. The condition of their heart in most cases is, is not right, but... It's, as I pictured that this morning, I thought, man, it'd be pretty hard for one of those guys to, to sin when they have that thing tied onto their arm and on their forehead. Because they can go to sin, but then they'll see that and be like, uh, <laughs> not going to do that. So I believe it's the desire of the Lord for, as was talked about Tuesday night, a awareness of what's going on in the world of people, of people with hungry and open hearts. It starts with an awareness of God and a sensitivity to, to God and having him central in our life and in, in remembrance in everything that we go to do with our hand and in the forefront of our mind and influencing and filtering everything that we see and everything that we think every direction that we go, because then it says that it should be written on the posts of your house and on your gates. Every time you leave your house, you should be leaving in the name of the Lord, leaving in the purpose 
of God, saying, I'm walking in the love of God, I'm walking in the revelation of, of Christ, and whatever my hand goes to do as I walk through this door, I'm going to go do it unto the Lord. And you can tell, just as, as you can tell by looking at someone a whole lot about a person, you can tell a lot about a person by looking at their house. The outside, somewhat, but especially the inside. I'm, I'm house-sitting right now. <laughs> and so I love, I, one of the things I love looking at is people's books. And this house I'm staying at, they have a lot of bookshelves and lots of books about dogs and horses and gardening and nothing wrong with that stuff. But I've, I've been searching because they have probably 10 bookshelves and I've been searching saying, man, do these people have a Bible anywhere? And I found one. <laughs> Didn't have to dig, really. I just kept looking. It's kind of at the bottom of a stack. Made me realize, okay, you know, there's probably a hunger here. There's probably a desire, but he's probably not central in their life. It's probably not their main priority. And so I would just, I would challenge us today if it doesn't take much to know and to be honest with ourselves of whether or not God is central in our life. Of whether we, because we can say, yeah, I believe one God, but then we cannot live it in the way that we prioritize Him in our life. The words from our mouth, do they talk about Him or, or are they all about us? Our house, does it reflect Him and does it reflect the child of God or is it full of, of filth and things that, would be ashamed of man i think it's important that we as as we move into a season of reaching out of pulling people out of bondage and bringing helping the lord be, as his hands and feet helping bring people into a new place i think it's important that we examine ourselves examine our lives and our hearts so that he can do this through us amen Amen. Thank you, Brother Hart. I think we're going to come back and say a little bit more about some of the things that Brother Hart has shared. Um, but I, I want to, uh, I want to bring something to your attention. If you were here on Tuesday night, or maybe watched online, you saw a little bit of this. But. Um, as he was ending, Brother Hart mentioned, if we're moving into a new season of reaching, and I'm going to assure you that we are. I feel it in, in the spirit, and uh, I feel it from my oversight as well. And those two, those two things are pretty much all I need to feel anything from to know this is what the Lord's doing. Uh, Brother Timothy, if you can help me with that photo. Bishop Schoonover shared this on uh, Tuesday, Tuesday night. Something to this degree. Now, this is not bought or purchased, um, but this is to give you a visual. Yeah, thank you. This is to give you just a quick visual of what Bishop Schoonover is feeling. Brother Hart said it. We're moving into a season of reaching. 
I want you to see this. It, I was thinking it's pretty interesting how uh, I, in faith, I'm going to say it this way. It's pretty interesting how COVID is done. Right? Some of you are like, I don't know if it's done. I mean, <laughs> oh man, if you could just. There's a, there's a little bit of the COVID aroma still lingering in some places, but the, you know, the, the Lord doesn't do anything on accident, and he took all of us as a, 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 as a people, as a world, as a, as a globe. He took us through that season of time to, to, to teach us some things, to show us some things, and uh, what I'm learning is many churches did or purchased or built something like this, a mobile stage, a platform of outdoor setting, uh, thinking that, well, since we can't have church indoors, we'll have church outdoors. And, and God used, I know, many situations like that, which is great. But, you know, I'm just, I'm cautioning everybody to realize now that COVID's over, we can't just go hide back under a bushel. No, that, uh, quite the contrary, because if one of many things that COVID did was made churches buy cameras, made churches get Zoom, made churches learn how to do things online and outside of their building and, and how to reach in such a way that others are going to do this. Thank you, Brother Manuel. You can turn those back on. Thank you, Brother Timothy. I want you to see that because... I believe something like that is in the future. It's coming. We need to reach. We need to share. We need to be ready when harvest comes. We need to be ready because fields are white with harvest. What's it going to look like? I don't know. Who's going to be standing on that? I don't know. Where is it going to be parked? I don't know. The Lord knows. The Lord will tell us when it's time, where it's time. I, want, I, I just want the Lord to be getting these things into our spirit. Preparation is a spiritual thing. Being ready is, is a spiritual thing. Can you imagine if you had been in prayer somewhere, I don't know, uh, December of 2019, January of 2020, and the Lord was telling you, you're not going to believe this. But something's about to happen. Preparation is a spiritual thing, and the Lord will take us there in our walk with Him. To where I don't get surprised by things. I don't get caught off guard when I get a message that says no church today. Or whatever it might be. I can be ready. I can be prepared. Similar thing with this. Now, I, want, I, I also want you to know that what Life Church does 
you are a part of. Whether you're standing on that or not, whether you're holding a microphone or not, whether you're working a parking lot or not, what Life Church does, you are a part of. Because, and we sh- this has been shared by now, but the Lord gave every single one of us the invitation to be a part of it. And all you, just like getting the Holy Ghost, all you got to do is receive it and say, thank the Lord, yes, I'll do what I'm supposed to do. I'll do my part. If the Lord should lead you to pray about that situation, please pray about it. If the Lord should lead you to talk to me about it, ask questions about it, respond. Respond to what the Lord is doing in us. Amen? We want the Lord's leading. If you can turn to the book of Ephesians, chapter 1. I want to remind you some of the things that Brother Hart was sharing. I feel them very strongly. As, I was, as he was ministering, I was sitting there thinking about... I was... I was Born and raised in church. You could say that about me. I, I, I never uh, lived a life at any age, childhood, um, adolescence, teenage years, young adult years. I never lived a life where God was not a significant part of my life. I'm thankful for that. I'm, I'm thankful that I had godly parents that raised me in a godly home. And I'm thankful for all of those things. I've, but I've seen, I've been around a long time and I've seen people at all ends of the spectrum. And people that have lived an entire life ungodly, in an ungodly manner, and then right at the end of their life, the Lord get a hold of them, change them, and make them a new person. I've seen people in their teenage years being just as ungodly as a teenager can be and the Lord get a hold of them and start to change them and you see it little by little. Oh, the Lord's progressing this person and he's making them a new, new creature and they're, they're not who they were yesterday. They're not who they're going to be tomorrow either, but they're not who they were and they're in, they're in, this, in this process and that happens young, that happens middle-aged, it happens elderly, all, all throughout life. But one of the things that I was thinking about was if you, if you have a person that has lived many years, especially into adulthood, without the Lord, and the Lord is not a part of their life, then they have built their life around other things. And this scripture, he said, it, this, this, yes, it goes all the way back to Exodus. When the Lord says, don't make anything that looks like anything else. Don't make a graven image that looks like a loaf of bread because you love bread so much. Don't make a graven image that looks like an eagle because you think eagles are so cool. Don't make a graven image that looks like anything else because just even the very act of making it is in its sense a form of worship but even especially once that thing is made and it's set up in your mind and in your in your house in your in your life you will find times of devotion to it 
you will find times where you're giving yourself to that thing, and I, the Lord, am a jealous God, and I don't want you doing that. So think about a person that did not grow up hearing that, but instead they grew up hearing. We love eagles in this house. I'm just using that as, a, as an example. And we, we got pictures of them on all, all the walls, and we got statues of them here, and and bronze ones over there that are just so cool looking. And that's just part of our family. I don't picture a little kid coming. Why, do you, why are there eagles all over you? I don't know. My mom and dad love them. They just think they look good. They, you know, that's just, we're the eagle family, I guess. And then imagine that person growing up. And then at some point, the Lord confronting them about, you're not supposed to have any of those things made and presented before you. You see where I'm going? There's a confrontation between that individual and the Lord. And now that person has to look at things and go, wow, I had no idea. But if the Lord really wants this from me, I better obey Him. So I better change these things. Get rid of things, sell things, destroy things, go to the dump, whatever I've got to do. But I am going to do it in a response that's trying to obey the Lord. I've seen people that they, they view their life and then they view the life they know God wants for them and say, I got to pick one or the other. And thank the Lord, they choose the life that the Lord wants them to. But then it means I have to act on my old life. I, I cannot be that anymore. The Lord is changing a person. You want to th think about people that get very um, strict about certain areas of their life. We all know people like this, okay? If you don't want to admit that you're one of them, then just think about somebody else. But somebody that's strict in an area of their life, and you think, why doesn't brother so-and-so like this? Or I've, I've heard that she's against that. Or they don't, they don't want you to do this. Why is it that that person has that kind of a mentality towards that thing? Most of the time, I would dare say all of the time, it's because that person has had, at some point in their life, an encounter that changed them. And they know, I can't do that. I shouldn't do that. I have to refrain from that. And that becomes a, we, we view them and we say, well, they're just, they're so strict. They're so hardline. They think everything that this is wrong. No, it's because the Lord has given them a sure word of direction that says, don't do that. Now, what I'm describing to you is what we call a conviction. The Lord convicts a person. And that person identifies, that's the Lord telling me, do this or don't do this. Where we get in trouble sometimes is, we want to go preach our convictions to other people and say, the Lord told me not to do that, so all of y'all that are doing it are bad. 
No, we don't preach our convictions. We preach the Bible. We preach the doctrine. You, I, I, I can feel it right now. This is blowing some people's minds. You mean the Lord's telling me I got to follow the Bible and anything else he tells me? Yes. The Bible is the starting point. I mean, I don't know how many of us really are brave enough to say, hey, yep, I got the whole Bible thing covered. I know exactly what it says beginning to end, and I do all the things it says to do, and I don't do any of the things it says don't do. I, don't, I really don't know that any, any of us are there. It's, a, it's a, a valiant thing to strive towards that. But as we are striving towards that, the Lord helps you and says, you know what, maybe you shouldn't watch this. Maybe you shouldn't listen to that. Well, where is that in here? Hang on. I, I know the Lord said it, so where's the, where's the verse? Where's the, where's the verse that says, Thou shalt not listen to honky-tonk music? The, the verse does say, If you love me, keep my commandments. And my commandment to you is, don't do this thing. The Lord really will mature a person, grow a person, start a walk and make it deeper and more meaningful, more profound by saying, if you would just cut this out of your life, if you would just devote a little bit more of this to me, I know you like to go there and do that, but if you weren't, you and I would have a closer relationship. And then it puts us in the hot seat. Every single one of us. Oh, I think the Lord maybe doesn't want me to do this. Uh, let me think on that a little bit longer while I'm doing it. I'll do it. Get it over with. See if I still got a heartbeat. Well, thank God I do. So I, maybe he didn't want me to do it, but you know what? He didn't strike me dead for it either. I'm just, I'm telling you thoughts that go through a human brain. The Lord made us this way. And he's saying, I know exactly how your brain works. I'm the one that gave it to you. But you know what? I would love it if you would turn and give some stuff back to me. All right, let me read a little bit. Ephesians 1 and 17. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. Paul's writing this book of Ephesians to the church in Ephesus. And this, this whole chapter is just a part of his greeting to them. He's saying, hey, how you doing? I hope things are going well. I hope you're getting closer to God. Oh, what a, what a Because he can go for a while about, I hope you're getting closer to God. And I hope that the Lord's given you a spirit of wisdom and revelation. That, this is, it's, it's his greeting to the church that the Lord, our God, is giving you abundant Revelation. No, I'm just barely hanging on, Paul. 
Sorry, Apostle Paul. I'm just barely hanging on. What do you mean? I, the Lord should be taking you to depths of wisdom, depths of revelation and understanding. In the knowledge of Him, verse 18, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened. Quite a heavy greeting. But Paul was a heavy spirited man. Because he knew what I write is important. What I share is important. Where the Lord takes us, what He's doing through us, it's not just a little bit important. It's everything. Brother Hart used the word central. This is central to you. I'm praying that your eyes are being opened. The eyes of your understanding being enlightened. That you may know... What is the hope of his calling? Imagine, imagine if, if, uh, if I or somebody else just started preaching today and said, it's good to be in Union Gap today. I pray that everybody's doing well. I pray that the eyes of your understanding are being enlightened, that you would know what is the hope of his calling. You're going to sit there and be like, who is this guy? Who does he think he is? talking all fancy and spiritual. This is the letter that Paul wrote to the church. And no doubt it's being read over and over and over again because it is so crucial. Every single word from God is crucial. I mentioned this a few weeks ago. Jesus said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. My question to you is, who wrote the Bible? All scripture is given by inspiration of God. Holy men wrote as the Spirit moved them. So who wrote the Bible? God did. And if Jesus is looking at the devil while the devil is tempting him and telling the devil, I got an answer for you. Man needs to live by every word from God. There's enough in the Bible to keep you from sinning. There's enough in the Bible for you to not be tempted or to have a way out of escape of temptation. Because it is the Word of God. Just Jesus, we say He's our example, and I want to be Christian. <sighs> Sorry, that was a little something that came up when I used that term. Christian. Because we say we want to be Christian, but nobody really wants to live like Jesus when it comes time to overcome temptation. I'll be like Christ in all other parts of my life. I'll give like Him. I'll preach like Him. I'll love like Him. I'll go around and hug people if I have to, if, if I can be a Christian that way. I'll, I'll give a little more in the offering if I don't feel like I'm Christian enough yet. Okay, how are you going to do when you're in the wilderness being tempted by the devil? 
Well, let me think. How's my neighbor doing? How, the, how are the churches doing? How's, how's my brothers and sisters doing? Because wherever they're at, I know lo- the Lord loves them, and I'll just try to acclimate as much as I can to where they are and what they're doing and how they live, because surely the Lord's not going to wipe us all off the earth. Anybody want to be Christian? The eyes of your understanding being enlightened that you may know what is the hope of his calling and what is the riches of his glory and of his, in, of his inheritance in the saints. Go to chapter 2, verse 1. And you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins. You were dead. Your spirit not, not literally, not physically dead, but Paul is saying, you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins. That means if you've got trespasses and sins in your life, your spirit is dead. But what the Lord does is quicken, bring it back to life. Paul says, you hath he quickened. Wherein in time past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. You lived like them at one time. You acted like them at one time. You were dead just as they are dead in trespasses and sins. The only difference is you hath he quickened. He brought you to life spiritually. We call it a new birth. It's the Lord bringing you to life. Verse 3, among whom also we, had our, we all had our conversation in times past, in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath even as others. I really don't know at what point in this Paul is transitioning from his greeting because we just read at the end of chapter 1 and right into chapter 2. This is how the Spirit confronts a person. How you doing? Did you get over that sin yet? I mean, that's... Lord! What? This is how the Spirit confronts a person. Good morning, Caleb. Today is Sunday. How are you doing? Have you been quickened? You used to live like this. Have you been washed? Have you been cleansed? I believe the Lord would take every single one of us there in a relationship with Him every day if we let Him. Not because we're so sinful that we need this. No, it's a constant reminder of who I am and what He's done for me. That's my relationship with Him. I'm almost done. Verse 4, But God who is rich in mercy 
for his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ. Somebody just needs the reminder that even when you were dead in sins, God loved you. Even when you hadn't overcome the struggle, God loved you. He says it, by grace ye are saved. Let me go back, I'm almost done. Verse 4, God who is rich in mercy, for his great love wherewith he loved us, comma, even when we were dead in sins, comma, we call that a phrase. Paul says the whole big picture is God loves you and he quickens you. But let me insert the phrase to remind you he loved you and he quickened you even when you were dead in sins. Verse 6, and hath raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. One more passage and then I'm done. Colossians chapter 2. I got a lot to read, but I'm going to cut a lot of it out. Verse 12. Colossians chapter 2 verse 12. Everybody say, this is me. Paul wrote this to first the church in Ephesus, then the church in Colossia? Colossians. He wrote it to both of these churches, but this is me. Because the same work that God did for every single person in all of these churches is the same work he did for me. Everybody say, this is me. It's, I'm the one he's talking to. Verse 12, buried with him in baptism, wherein also ye are risen with him through the faith of the operation of God who hath raised him from the dead. If God raised Jesus from the dead after he died on the cross, then there is a spiritual connection to you dying in the waters of baptism, buried in the waters of baptism, and then being raised, being raised to a new life. And you, verse 13, and you being dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, hath he quickened together with him, having forgiven you all your trespasses. By the way, let me point out, we're in chapter 2 of Colossians. Those were chapter 2 of Ephesians, a lot of what we were reading. This is just, again, how the Spirit talks to a person. I don't even want to use the word confrontation or how the Spirit confronts a person because we think that's negative. This is positive. The way that the Lord would talk to you openly and honestly about yourself is not bad. It's good. Ah, oh, there's a lot of people that have no problem telling you you're fine. Everything's good. You're going to be all right. I think you're doing good enough. I think you'll be okay. 
There's enough people that have that kind of communication. The Lord says, how you doing, my brother? Sit down. We need to have a talk about you. You being dead in sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh hath he quickened together with him, having forgiven you all of your trespasses. Verse 14, blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us, and took it out of the way, nailing it to his cross. That's a mouthful from Paul. But he says, you had a rap sheet. Of all the things, every law you broke. There's one word I understood in that whole thing, and it was the word ordinances. That's laws. You had a long list of ordinances, not just one. And as the scripture does say, if somebody breaks one part of the law, they're guilty of all the law. That's the Old Testament, but it's the same spiritual prince. Oh, the Lord is helping us. It's the same spiritual principle because somebody wants to say, can I go to heaven with just this one little sin? Please. I haven't killed anybody. I've been faithful in my marriage. I'm not despising people. I'm, I don't steal things. Can I just, I just got this one little thing. Surely the Lord would understand that if he did. Just think about it for a second. What would that mean for the rest of us if the Lord let you slide by with just that one little thing? Uh, this is what it means. It means he's going to let everybody that just has one little thing wrong with them go to heaven. Woo, thank God we don't have to repent anymore as long as just little things wrong with us. Little sins. Small little problems that we just don't have to correct. That is what the world today would have you believe. Scripture says, beware the little foxes that spoil the vine. Blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us, and took it out of the way and nailed it to his cross. Verse 15, and having spoiled principalities and powers, he made a show of them openly, triumphing over them in it. His death on the cross was an open display of victory. Triumphant. Triumphing openly. People view the cross as a loss. Oh, it's just so sad. Now, I'm just going to give you this right now. It's March 20th. This might be the closest thing to an Easter message you have. So just take it for what it's worth right now. People view him dying on the cross as a sad thing. Poor Jesus. Paul says, in doing so, he triumphed openly over powers and principalities. He has... 
This, even, none of it's really sad. I was going to say the only sad part, but thankfully, this is not even sad. It, it touches me emotionally, but it's not sad. My ordinances were nailed to his cross. My sin was nailed to his cross. Your sin, we put Jesus up on the cross and we just see a sad man that died. No, the powers and principalities see the eternal Lamb of God slain to take away the sins of the whole world. That's a picture of loss to the enemy. I don't get to hold that against him anymore because he nailed it to his cross. That person sinned, but he nailed it to his cross. You can stand with me. I'm coming to a close. Scripture says, no, hear me please. The scripture says, if any man sins, he has an advocate with the Father. The advocate with the Father is the man, Jesus Christ. I believe as much as anything, there's a reason why the Lord's given, the, given us this about three or four weeks ahead of Easter. Because now every time you see a depiction of the cross or the tomb or the Easter bunny, whatever it is that in your mind you relate to, he's risen, he's, he's, he died for sins and he was on the cross, whatever, that, that action... The Lord is giving us full and complete understanding today of what it really means for me. If any man sins, he has an advocate with the Father. It is the man, Jesus Christ. Because I get to take my sin and say, Lord, this would be mine, and I would have to pay for it. But I have an advocate. What does an advocate do? We, we, I think a lot of us know this a little bit, in, in, in modern society at least. An advocate speaks on behalf of a person who's unable to speak for themselves. Speak up for them. Share their needs. Make sure they're, they're, what they need is taken care of. It, that's exactly the spiritual process. The, I have a need. I am guilty of sin. And I cannot pay the price 
of my sin. I'm going to the Lord and I'm saying, Lord, I have an advocate with you. It is what Jesus Christ did on the cross. That's my advocate. He took my place. He died so I don't have to. He paid the price with his life so I don't have to. We were dead in sins. We were dead in sins. But he quickened us. The new, the new birth experience is what we call it a lot of times today. That is being buried in the waters of baptism in the name of Jesus Christ. And that is receiving his spirit inside of you with the evidence of speaking in other tongues. That is the new birth experience. I'm going to open these altars and I'm going to invite you to find a place to pray because I know the Lord is talking to many of us. I believe he's talking to all of us. I, I want us to respond. Come on, whatever the Lord's talking to you about. God, you are my advocate. You paid the price for me, Lord. Jesus, you took my place. Oh, I thank you for taking my place, God. You came and lived and you died for me so that I don't have to. Jesus, it was my place on the cross. God, it was my place of death, my place of sin and guilt, my place of shame, Lord, but you took it for me. God, you got on that cross willingly. You could have saved yourself. You could have allowed me to pay the ultimate price, God. But instead, you bore my sin. You bore my sin. It was upon you, God. The weight of the world was upon you. The sin of every person that lived before you and after you. It was all upon you, God. And you carried it. You nailed my sin to the cross, Lord. You nailed my shame there to the cross, God. I thank you for it today, Jesus. I thank you for it today, God, for dying for me. Hallelujah. Come on, open up your heart. Talk to the Lord here today. Talk to the Lord here today. Respond to his spirit that's moving in you.
collectively to pray for for any one of us that that might say I've been having uh, a battle in my mind 
we don't nobody needs to know the details of it the Lord's not asking for that but I'm not going to make anybody do anything other than if if that's you if you feel like you could say I have been having a battle in my mind would you just raise your hand so we know really who all we're praying for amen amen Lord Jesus I take authority today in Jesus name over the voice of the enemy that would speak into these minds God I loose the freedom and clarity of your spirit and your word Jesus God all we need to live by is your word all we need to live by is the truth of your word I loose it into their minds today in the name of Jesus God thy word is forever settled thy word is forever settled in the name of Jesus Lord I pray that it would be a battle no longer God but that it would be settled today Jesus that we would know you are true your word is true your direction Lord Jesus the unction of your spirit is true God what you say is the truth and I believe it Lord I rest assured in your voice I rest assured in your voice so God in the name of Jesus I pray spiritual covering over each one of these minds today God I pray it in Jesus name that it would be as the helmet of salvation over the mind in the name of Jesus oh I thank you for it God come on just thank the Lord he's already done it thank him for it I thank you Jesus I thank you for victory today God I thank you for freedom in my mind today God I thank you for rest against these thoughts Lord I thank you in Jesus name in the name of Jesus I speak that victory today hallelujah hallelujah yes Jesus yes God hallelujah 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 in Jesus name hallelujah hallelujah there's a there's a saying that goes to the victor goes the spoils and the spoils means what whatever belonged to the loser the winner gets if the battle was in your mind then if you lost that mind then if you lost that battle then the victor the enemy would get all that goes with it your 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 thoughts your sanity your peace that would be your spoils that would go to him if you lost the battle but we didn't lose the battle amen and the saying is still true to the victor goes the spoils that means whatever's his that belonged to him he should lose it when he loses a battle so start looking for it oh I think the Lord just lost that uh, the devil I think the devil just lost that I think the enemy that belonged to him but it doesn't any longer it's free now it's mine it belongs to the Lord amen Thank you, Jesus. 
Thank you, Lord. Come on, let's just offer the Lord some thanks before we go. I thank you, Lord, for being good to me and loving me. I thank you for protecting me, Lord Jesus. I thank you for giving me peace today. I thank you for giving me victory today, Lord. Thank you for giving me forgiveness today, Lord Jesus. I claim it all in Jesus' name. I expect to see it all operate in my life in the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. Amen. Greet one another. Make sure you let our guests and visitors know you're glad they're here today. The Lord bless you. You're dismissed.